You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Tonight, we uh, continue a series that I believe has major implications for us uh, as individuals. I think it has major implications for us as a congregation. And as I mentioned last week, that uh, this series comes from several resources. One, Bishop Anthony Mangan, a series of messages he preached, as well as Robert Morris, Pastor Robert Morris, as well as a few others. But uh, we're talking on the subject of give to give. And I'm going to read the three passages we read last week as our opening. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn there, highlight these verses. John chapter 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 14, you shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. In Matthew chapter 10, 7 and 8, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received and freely give. And we dove into this subject, and I hope that you, uh, if you didn't have a chance to be here in person, you had a chance to listen or watch it this week. But just as a quick recap, last week we talked about giving, and in a sense that giving should cost us something, that it should mean something to us. We talked about the story of David sinning by numbering the people, and he pleads with God for mercy, and ultimately he goes to a threat threshing floor, and he uh, wants to make a sacrifice, to make amends for what happened, and, and uh, the, the man Ornan wants to give him the threshing floor, but David said, no, I'm going to pay a full price for it. I'm not going to take, he said, what is yours, but I want to uh, offer a burnt offering that cost me something. And so we recognize that our giving should be out of the abundance of the generosity of our heart. I was reminded of a quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, the uh, theologian and uh, philosopher, uh, well known uh, for uh, his writings, his philosophy, and, and a Christian author. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as ours, we are probably giving away too little. If our giving does not match at all, pinch or hammer us. Uh, if our giving does not at all pinch or hammer us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our giving excludes them. I thought that was an interesting take because we uh, try to measure many times what we're giving based on what somebody else is giving or somebody else is doing. 
And uh, I think that that's a challenging way to look at it. But we understand that when Christ talked about giving, he talked about it in the context that it should cost us something. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, we read this passage, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will uh, be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you again. But last week, we really understood the context. This was not just talking about money, and in fact, the context is really not even talking about money at all. Because Jesus said, before he says this, therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. All these things, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. With, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you again. And it's about what our life is producing and gives. If you, as I mentioned last week, if you don't need mercy, don't give mercy. If you don't need forgiveness, don't give forgiveness. If you want to judge, go ahead and judge. But just understand, it's good measure. Press down, shaken together and running over, it'll come back to you. And so we really played out that idea and how powerful it is that, that Calvary be a church of many chances. A church that is full of mercy, that gives mercy, that gives forgiveness. We talked about that idea that we give to give. We give forgiveness now so we can give more forgiveness later. We don't give to get, but we give to give. And we've concluded with the idea that God created giving for our sake. I don't give for God's sake. I give for my sake. I give because it speaks to who God is in my life. And so we talked about Deuteronomy chapter 15 where the bondservant is talked about and, and the master is told if your brother in Hebrews chapter, or Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 12, if your brother a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year we'll, you'll let them go free from you. And when you send them away, don't send them away empty-handed, but give them something. And we read this in our text, verse 14, you shall supply them liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, from your wine press, from what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give. And why does he tell them to do that? You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. And there is a blessing that comes when we give, when we recognize that God is doing something in us. It points us, giving points us to who God is in our lives. And when I give somebody mercy, I recognize that God is merciful to me. 
When I give somebody forgiveness, I recognize that. When I give my tithe and I give my offering, I recognize that God is the provider in my life. Giving is powerful. So tonight for our lesson, I want to focus on a very specific aspect of giving. I'm not sure uh, I'll get through all of the content, and I'm telling our media team that. The Leadership Magazine carried a story years ago about four young men in a Bible school, and uh, they were renting a house together. And one Saturday morning, as they were at the house, uh, they heard a knock on the door, and they go to open the door, and there stands in front of them a a haggard-looking old man. His eyes were kind of marbleized, and he had a silvery stub of whiskers all over his face. His clothes were ragged. His shoes didn't even really match. And in fact, they were uh, two of the same side of, of uh, shoes. They, they were both uh, on, uh, from one side of the same foot. And he, he, he carried a wicker basket. And this man knocked on the door and he was carrying this wicker basket of un, very unappealing vegetables that he was trying to sell. The boys felt sorry for him, and, and so they bought some vegetables from him, and he went on his way. And it was just a few days later, a week later, in fact, that they hear another knock on the door, and again, he comes to the door, and he appears with that basket full of vegetables, and they bought the vegetables again. All right. And as the boys... You always got to decide if you're going to acknowledge a cell phone ring in the moment I chose to acknowledge it in the moment. And so he knocked on the door again. Another week later, brings the vegetables. And week by week, little by little, they begin to get to know this man. And they invited him in and they continued to have conversation with him. They soon discovered that his marbleized eyes were not because of drugs or alcohol, but because of cataracts. And they learned that he lived down the street in an old shack, and they found out that he could play the harmonica, and he loved Christian hymns, and, and he loved God. So every Saturday when he would come over and knock on their door, they would invite him in, and they got to where they would sing songs, and they would talk about God. They became good friends, and they began to, those four young men, those Bible school students, began to think, how can we help this man? So they decided they were going to collect some clothes, and secretly, they collected these clothes, and they went, and they went to his house, and they secretly put those clothes on his doorstep. They didn't leave a note. They didn't attach anything. They, they didn't want him to know that they had given it to him. So the following Saturday, knock comes on the door. The old man appears, and they invite him in. They start talking. They start singing and praising God. And he suddenly stops, and he says, you know what? God is good. God is so good. And they agreed with him. Yes, God is good. And he went on. You know, he said, you want to know why God is good? And they, of course, asked, why, why is God good? He said, because yesterday when I got up and opened my door, there were boxes full of clothes and shoes and coats and gloves. 
And he said, they said, yes, God is good. And they all smiled and they thought, that is right, God is good. And he went on and he said, you want to know why he is good? You want to know why he's so good? They answered, you, you already told us why he's so good. What could there be more? And he said, because I found a family who could use those things and I gave them all away. This is the picture of giving I want to get us to see tonight. This man lived a life to give. But what I want us to understand tonight is the real power of giving our best. In that moment, this old man didn't give his leftovers. He gave his best. Might not have seemed like much, but it was his best. It was his best because it was his only. If we're going to give something, we should give our best. That's why John 3.16 is so powerful. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God didn't give his extras. He didn't give his trash. He didn't give his excess. He didn't give his surplus. He didn't give his spare. God gave his only. That is why the story of Abraham giving away his son Isaac is so powerful because it gives us a human glimpse of what it would look like for a father to give away his prized son. His son was his treasure. Bible says, God so loved the world. That's us. Say me. God loved me that he gave his best, his only. And giving our best is the only way we can give to give. So I want to give you four quick principles for giving our best. And I hope They'll encourage all of us. Number one, giving our best and giving your best doesn't mean giving the most. Doesn't mean giving the most. The old man that gave the clothes did not give the most, but he gave his best. In that moment when he saw the need, he gave his best. Jesus told about a time in Luke chapter 21. He said he looked up and he saw the rich man, rich men putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty Put in all the livelihood that she had. The woman didn't give the most, but she gave her best. Others gave leftovers, but she gave something that was valuable to her. This story causes us to rethink and reprioritize God's economy. God measures things differently than we do. Some of you have lots of money. Some of you maybe have less money. 
Some of you have large amounts of skill and talents. Some of you have great intellect. Some of you have great families and heritages. And when Jesus talked about the faithful servant, the evil and the evil servant, he said, for everyone to whom much is given, for him much will be required. There's a correlation to if we've been given much, then we should give much. Because giving your best doesn't mean giving the most out of everything, everybody. It's giving the best that you have. Giving your best, number two, means giving something that was cultivated, not just grown. We give our best when we give something that was cultivated, not just something that was grown. There's a difference between something cultivated and something grown. You can grow weeds just about anywhere. We have weeds that are sprouting up all around us, and it's getting ready to be in full bloom around here. What I find interesting is that these weeds are going to come out of the asphalt. They're going to come out of the concrete. They're going to come out of everywhere they can come out. And they are powerful. But you don't have to do anything for them to come up. And when Jesus taught the parable of Mark chapter 4 about the importance of bearing fruit, he said some bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he, de- he described the idea that things can be produced that require no cultivation. He talked about thorns and weeds that can grow in the same places that God is trying to produce fruit in our lives. But the problem is that the things grown at, that, that require no cultivation choke out the things that require cultivation. And so he said, these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And what happens? The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But those are the ones who sow on good ground, who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit, some 30 fold, some 60, some 100. And what I realize is that in order for me to give my best, I have to cultivate what I'm giving. Because if I'm not intentionally looking for opportunities to give my best, there will be things that choke out and sabotage my resources. He talked about the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. God wants fruit to come out of our lives, but how many times has it been choked by these things? Giving my best means giving something that is cultivated. Because giving should be something that we do intentionally, not just something we do if we have something left over. Giving should be something we do intentionally, not just something we do if we have something left over. How can you live an unfruitful life? I'm going to give you some ways. How can you live a life that impacts nobody around you? How can you live a life that doesn't bless other people? Let me tell you how. Give only when you have leftovers. Give only 
when you have only leftover time. Serve only when it's convenient. Help out only when you have absolutely nothing else going on. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choked the word and it became unfruitful. You have to be intentional to be able to be fruitful. Adam and Eve were told in the garden in Genesis chapter 2.15, the Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. This is before sin even entered the world. If it took intention before sin entered the world to be fruitful, you can guarantee it will take intention after the curse of the ground and the curse of the thorns came into play. If we're going to produce something, we have to be intentional. And so I think about this idea of leftovers, and I thought about it in my own life. When you have a guest over, you're trying to put on your best impression, straightening all the couches and everything, vacuuming. You go to serve the food, and you say, hey, look in the fridge. There may be some leftovers there. It's not, it's not our best. We know what our best looks like. We pull out the china, we cook, or we go to certain restaurants where putting out something. But our best is never just what is left. Our best is what is cultivated and made. And how often do we give God our leftovers in giving? God, if I can get through this month, if there's anything left, I got you. How often do we give people our leftovers? If I have any leftover patience after the kids have been on my last nerve, then I'll give it to my husband. If I have any leftover kindness after a hard day of work, I'll give it to my family. If I have any leftover time after weeks, a week's worth of work and my to-do list is done, if all that's done and I have some leftover time, then I'll come to church and I'll serve. Our best is never what is left. Our best is what is cultivated and made. And I have to be intentional to be able to be fruitful. Now I've said this before, and it was an epiphany for me, and I share it with you today. Your family should get the best version of you, not the leftover version of you. Don't give your boss the best version of you and your family the leftover. Give your family the best of you, the best time, the best of your personality, the best of your grace, the best of your patience. Someone said this, too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. We're constantly trying to do all these things for all these other people. And the real impact, the real opportunity we have is sitting around our table and they get the leftovers of us. You have to be an you have to be intentional in order to give your best. You have to be calculated. You know it logically, but love is a choice. 
Let me remind you that love is cultivated and it's not assumed. Love is intentional. Jesus did not love us because he felt like it. Amen. He loved us because he chose to. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say, but God felt his own love towards us. It said he demonstrates his own love for us. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, they don't have it on the screen, but love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It sounds like love is intentional. Third, giving your best means giving what God has given you not just what you can create on your own. And when we learn that what I have been given is given to me from God and it's not my own, I won't have an issue with giving. John D. Rockefeller, who was arguably the richest man to have ever lived besides Solomon, he had a religious background and a guiding force in his life and he was a very devout Christian. He believed God to be the source of his Success, And he said this, God gave me money. I believe the power to make money is a gift from God to be developed and used to the best of our ability for the good of mankind. And he felt at ease following John Wesley's motto that you gain all you can, you save all you can, and you give all you can. And from his very first paycheck, John D. Rockefeller tithed 10 percent of his earnings to his church and he gave away more than 530 million dollars in today's money to various causes and organizations besides his tithe he started off with very very meager means and god put that in his hands and it's a beautiful thing when you when people recognize that god has given them what they have When we learn that what I have is given to me from God, it's not my own. Again, I don't have an issue giving it for God's purposes. When I realize that the reason I'm here today is because of the mercy God gave me, I can give mercy. When I realize the reason I'm here today is because God forgave me, when I realize that, I can give forgiveness. When I realize the money I have is because God put it in my hands, I can give money. Giving your best means giving what God has given you, not just what you can create on your own. And if we can learn to live a life of giving in our hearts and our minds, we can understand it. We can understand what it means to give mercy and forgiveness. I don't think we'll have a problem giving money. In the book of Acts, it says, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Wasn't theirs to begin with. And so they wanted to give the best they could. 
Let me say this. We are the best version of ourselves when we are recreated in the image of God. We are the best version of ourselves when we lose our identity and take on the identity of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we all have that image. We all have the hair of the man of dust. We have the looks. We have the attitude. We have the pride. We have everything that goes along with the man of dust. We also bear the image of the heavenly man. So Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The best version of you is when you are made in the image of the heavenly man. Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We become the best version of ourselves only when we are in Christ. If I try to create the version of me, I'm going to fail every time. The best version of me is when my life is surrendered to who Christ wants to make me. And that's the righteousness of God in the world. Galatians 5.22, you know this passage, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That sounds like a really awesome person. I haven't met them because I know me. But man, that sounds like a great person. They're loving, full of joy, peace. What would that be like? Long suffering just so long-suffering with you. They let you make mistakes over and over. They just smile. They love you. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, always there for you. Gentle, self-controlled. But he said in verse 24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That he's saying, this is the best version of us. This is who we could be if we really submitted ourselves to the control of the Spirit. And that's an awesome person. That's a person who can give their best. In Ephesians 2, it talks about we are his workmanship. He's crafted us. And so... So I kind of hasten to my close here. Colossians 3.23. This passage is interesting to me. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So we're giving, we're recognizing that what we are is who Who God has made us is what we should be giving to others. And he said, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the uh, 
from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So that's a challenging thought, that everything that I do, I do it as unto the Lord. So there's the bracelets we used to wear, and it's still maybe a popular saying, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do is a good question, and it finds its roots in Scripture. However, there's another question that I think we should ask. W-W-Y-D-I-J-A-Y. It's not as popular. It's not as easily printed on T-shirts. But what would you do if Jesus asked you? What would you do if Jesus asked you? That's what Paul is saying. Do your best as if Christ asked you to do it. Some of you would fall all over yourselves if some celebrity, some celebrity or politician asked you to do something. You would trip all over yourselves. I would probably trip all over myself. Some of you would fall all over yourself to do something if the CEO of your company came into town and asked you to do something. And how often do we begrudge those closest asking us to do something? We give our best for someone we feel is important. What about your annoying neighbor asking you to help them with something? What about your coworker asking you to pick them up and take them somewhere? What about your seven-year-old asking you to spend time with them? What about your 12-year-old asking you to throw a baseball with them? What about your wife asking you to help her with a project? What about your husband asking you to go fishing with him? My God, I've never been more anointed. Brother John, thank you. You may be seated. Brother Danny, amen. Because before Paul says this, he's addressing a group of people. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. (laughs) Just reading the Bible. Children, Obey your parents in all things, and this is well-pleasing to the Lord. But man, we don't get off the hook. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. That is such a nice way of putting it. (laughs) I know my children have been discouraged at times. Then he goes a little farther, bond servants. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye services, men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance as you serve the Lord 
But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. And then he says, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So the question, what would you do if Jesus asked you? That's a different way of responding, but it's the way that we can give our best. Because if I don't think like that, I'm going to let my carnal nature take over, and I'm going to respond that way, and it's not going to be the best version of me. It might be the normal version of me, and it might be the acceptable version of me, but it's not the best version of me. Best version is when I give as unto the Lord, and I serve as unto the Lord. Because finally, giving your best is worship to God. When we give, it's worship to God. I'm reminded of the woman in Mark chapter 14. Jesus sat there at the table and the woman came with an alabaster flask of very costly oils, spikenard, and she broke it and poured it on his head. There were some who were upset and they said, why this fragrant oil, it's been wasted Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Because her giving, no doubt, was her best. She didn't care what other people thought about it. She didn't care what other people thought it should be used for. She saw it as an opportunity to worship a God who she knew loved her. And so giving this very costly thing was hardly anything for her because really worship doesn't feel like it cost us anything. We get much more in return. And so as we kind of wrap this up, I want you to talk to somebody next to you And I want you to talk to them about somebody in your life who gave you a gift that was over the top and surprising. I want you to just talk about what was special about that gift. What was it that somebody gave you or did for you that was over the top? And what was special about it? All right, you got two minutes. All right, well, hopefully you had a moment to share there. 
And giving gifts can be intimidating. You want it to be great. You want it to be well-received. The things that are most meaningful to us are usually things that are given with intention. They've been given in a way that is looking to meet a need. I can say, and I've been guilty of it, of the old Christmas. uh, Our culture has given us a real easy way to make Christmas happen with gift cards. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Saved us a lot of time. Uh, but I, I don't know that it makes us better because really the best gifts and the best, best things that are given are given when they're with intention and they're looking at a need and saying, I want to be there for that need. And so as we consider what our life can give to other people, I, I think that we have more to give than we realize We have great gifts. We have love. We truly do have love that we can give other people. And I do pray that the fruit of the Spirit comes out of our lives, that it grows intentionally out of our lives, that we're cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in our life because we know that the weeds, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, the cares of life, are going to choke out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's just going to grow if we're not intentional about it. And so I believe the Lord's calling us, the Lord's calling Calvary, to give our best. Would you stand with me tonight? Luke chapter 638, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will... Be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Lord, we thank you for tonight. I thank you, God, for this amazing church that is a giving church, a a church that has a heart for people, has a heart to love people. God, and I thank you for just the, the revelation of your word, the challenge of your word, that you are calling on us to give our best that we would not just look for ways to give what's left over in our life, but, Lord, we would give with intention. We would look, God, for the things that can make a difference in people's lives. God, we wouldn't look around and just pick up something to give to somebody, but we would look for ways to intentionally invest in people's lives. This world is looking, God, for peace. This world is looking for joy and hope and love, Lord, and I'm praying that we would cultivate those things in our lives so that we can give them. God, thank you for giving your best to us. Thank you for reaching us and loving us with everything you had have. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience and your long suffering towards us, Lord. And I pray that as we receive those things, we would give those things. We thank you for everything you're doing among us. We praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Find somebody you haven't talked to yet tonight. Tell them how glad you are to see them at the Calvary Church. Sunday morning, coffee and connect. God bless you.
This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.